Something to note, Journey to the West is a centuries-old legend and has been retold many times. For direct quotations, we've referred to Anthony C. Yu's 1983 translation. Our story may be different from the ones you're familiar with, but we hope you enjoy it. Be warned, today's episode features some graphic violence. Please exercise caution for listeners under 13. Xuan Zan had never been to the banks of the Hong River before. Somehow he thought it would be a strange and ominous place, since it was where his father had been murdered before he was even born. But when he arrived, it was just a river. The horrific violence it had witnessed nearly 20 years ago had left no impression whatsoever. It made him think of a poem he heard once. A hundred years pass by like flowing streams, like froth and foam, a lifetime's work now seems. Yesterday faces had a peach's glow, today the temples float up flakes of snow. This soothing thought was interrupted by a commotion nearby. The disgraced governor Liu Hong was dragged roughly to the water's edge. Even after two decades in a bureaucrat's role, it took two guards to pin his arms. Behind them followed Xuan San's mother, In Wenjiao. Her eyes were wet with tears. Tears of grief, of joy, of a thousand other pent-up emotions that her captivity had not allowed her to express. Liu Hong's crimes were read aloud, but the monk Xuan San did not need to listen to them. He knew all the man was guilty of, murdering the governor, stealing his identity, keeping his wife in captivity, using public funds to pay his accomplice. Xuan San saw a glint of moonlight at Wen Zhao's side and realized she was holding a dagger. His heart caught in his throat. He did not know that his mother had intended to execute the man herself. Liu Hong was crying too now, tears running from his eyes and snot from his nose. It was a grotesque sight as he blubbered and pleaded for his life. But Lady Yin had gone cold. She raised the knife and plunged it into Liu Hong's gut. She had not gone for his heart, not yet. She cut out his liver first, letting him scream and writhe in pain before her. Then she went for his heart. Xuan San felt sick. He turned away from the violence and tried to meditate, but he could not shut out the howls and cries of agony behind him. He continued muttering the poem as a way of calming himself. Termites disband. Illusion then you'll learn. Cuckoos call out for your early return. Secret good works will always life prolong. Virtue's not needy, for heaven's care is strong. Then a shimmer of gold caught his eye. It was a school of fish circling near the surface. One of them paused, its wide black eyes seemingly fixed on him. Watching this small and delicate creature, Xuan San finally found himself able to relax and put the violent execution out of his mind, even as the water around the fish turned red with blood. 
Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're finishing the origin story of Xuan San, the protagonist of the epic novel Shioji, known in English as Journey to the West. Last week, this young Tang Dynasty monk learned the truth about his parents. He heard the story of how his father was murdered before he was even born, and his mother was trapped in a marriage to the murderer. Xuan San returned to his mother's side, ensuring the criminal was brought to justice. But now he has to find his place in the world, still shaken from the violence he's witnessed. Meanwhile, mysterious messengers from the West have arrived in China, seeking someone just like Xuan San. What their purpose is, we do not yet know. In a moment, Xuan San attempts to return home, only to learn his journey has just begun. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Qin An, abbot of the Gold Temple Mountain, did not expect Xuan San to return. The boy was the most gifted and intelligent monk he had ever met, but he knew all too well the pull of home and family. The cycle of samsara was hard to break, and if it required another lifetime for Xuan San to achieve enlightenment, so be it. But the monk's worries proved to be for naught, as Xuan San returned not a month later. There was something different about the monk, though. His once joyous glow was ever so slightly dimmed, and it seemed to the abbot that he had a hard time concentrating in his meditation. So he pulled the young man aside to ask him what was the matter. Is something bothering you, young Master Xuanzang? How could you tell? Come now. Reading emotion on the face of a young man does not require an enlightened mind. Tell me, you went to free your mother, yes? That is correct. And your father's murderer was brought to justice? He was. Then balance is restored. Why are you still troubled? Well, Master, it was so easy. Liu Hong may have been a clever opponent, but his arrogance was very easy to exploit. No real challenge at all. I brought a letter from my mother to her father, Chief Minister Ying, and he sent a column of soldiers to apprehend the monster. I thought that would be the end of it. 
he would be executed and my mother would move in with her father. But that's not what happened. The old monk peered at the younger man. He did not look sad or even disturbed. He looked puzzled, like one of his first-year students trying to understand the entirety of the six-fold path. My mother insisted that for it to be true justice, he would have to die on the banks of the Hong River, where he had killed my father 18 years ago. And there, my mother killed him. There was so much blood. I understand. It can be confusing to see someone we love commit something as horrible as slaying a man, but- That's the thing, father. I completely understand why she did it. He was a cruel man. Living with him was pure agony. That's not what confuses me. What confuses me is... My journey still feels incomplete. I see. Where do you think this lack of closure comes from? I stayed with my mother in Zhangzhou after the execution. The governor's palace felt so empty with just the two of us. As expected, her father, Ying Kai Shen, arrived to take her home. I expected that to be the end of her troubles, but it just felt strange. It wasn't like when I reunited with her. He was so cold like he barely knew her. I, I had to return. There was no place for me there. You should not have come back here. I'm sorry, what? I taught you the way so you could grow up wise and kind. Not so that you could use my lessons as an escape from the uncomfortable parts of life. But your teachings are the most important thing in the world to me. Then give them the focus they deserve. Go back to your mother and grandfather and resolve your difficulties there. When you have truly closed that chapter of your life, you can return to me, but not before. Not when your mind is still preoccupied with earthly matters. Xuanzang's shoulders slumped. Qinan almost felt guilty for being so harsh on the young monk, but he mentally corrected himself a moment later. To be a teacher is to be dispassionate. He could not be both a teacher and a father to him. So he watched the boy go, trying not to wonder if they would see each other again. Xuanzang's journey back to Jianzhou was the loneliest he'd ever been in his life. His rough tunic felt itchy on his shoulders, and the simple staff he held wore blisters on his palms, but he barely noticed. He spent the entire trek wondering what he would say to his mother once he reached the city. He'd been raised in a monastery, far away from what would be considered a normal upbringing. He did not know that this feeling in his gut was a natural one. But his arrival in Jianzhou proved to be a far stranger experience than even he expected. People looked grimly at him from the side of the road, and there seemed to be twice as many armored guards on the streets. Discomfort stirred in Xuanzang's belly when he saw that most of these new protectors were clustered around the governor's home. You cannot pass. I am here to see Ying Kai Shen, and I will be admitted. The chief minister left an hour ago for the capital. If you are to catch him, you'd better get moving, monk. Did something happen? Why are there so many guards? I'm afraid that's none of your business. 
Now, if you'll please be moving on. Xuanzang didn't allow the man to finish. He shoved the door open with his staff and slipped past the flustered guard. Lady Ying, are you home? Come back here, monk. This is trespassing. Lady Ying. Mother? There's no one here. You will go back outside if you know what's best for you. But Xuanzang did not move. His eyes alighted on a stain on the wall, a smear of red, which looked for all the world like a desperate handprint crawling its way toward the door. His face was ashen when he turned to the captain behind him. Tell me what happened here. My name is Qin Xuanzang, and I'm the son of the late governor and Lady Ying. Oh. Well, there was a dreadful crime committed here last night. Security was lax after the arrest and execution of Liu Hong, so there was no one watching the southern gate. Someone posing as a manservant slipped within the walls and murdered Lady Yin. You're lying. I wish I were. But the man was spotted by a number of the servants. Who... who was he? We believe the culprit was one Li Biao, a companion of the late Liu Hong. He would have visited during the imposter governor's tenure and likely learned the layout of the mansion well during that time. And you let him get away? I understand your anger, sir, but I was not yet in the city. I have been tasked by the governor to apprehend the murderer at all costs. Then you will not do so alone. Forgive me, but there's nothing you can do. A monk cannot help us track this man down. I disagree. I spoke with the imposter governor over dinner a week hence. Our conversation is fresh in my mind. I learned what kind of a man he is, and I'm sure this Li Biao is a similar sort of person. What insight can you offer? Xuanzang was filled with fury. He had first left the monastery to seek justice for his parents, and he would see justice delivered one way or another. If his master Qinan had been there, perhaps he would have warned his pupil. He would have warned him that in desiring vengeance, he was forsaking the very path that he had dedicated his life to. For as Bodhisattva Guanyin says, If you want to have a future, don't act heedless of the future. Coming up, our monk has a brush with his own demons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Two men set off on the road to the Hong River. One, a captain in Emperor Taizong's army named Go Yi. The other, a Buddhist monk named Qin Xuanzang. Xuanzang was no warrior or even an investigator, but his insistence and his insight earned him a role in this journey all the same. The man they hunted, Li Biao, had been one of the two who killed Xuanzang's father years ago, and now he had come back to avenge his partner. 
Their first step was to retrace Li Biao's route back to the river crossing in hopes of picking up the trail from there. But when they arrived at the river, they found the ferry shack to be empty, the boat gone. They made their camp in the abandoned hut, neither man feeling particularly hopeful about their journey. You are a strange monk indeed, Qian Xuanzang. Why is that? As we rode, I found myself wondering, what kind of man swears himself to a life of peace only to ride for a quest for vengeance at the first opportunity? I do not seek vengeance. I seek justice. Cruelty puts the universe out of balance, and I wish to restore that balance in whatever way I can. I see. So indulge me. If you found the man we seek in this cabin, what would you do? I would have you arrest him. No, no, no. Imagine you are alone. No armed companions, no weapons of any kind. You see him lying on the floor there, asleep, sleeping so soundly he will not awake unless you yell in his ear. What do you do? You are trying to bait me. Not at all. I merely wish to know what would push a man like you to violence. I have been trained so that even the cleverest demon wouldn't be able to trick me into doing harm to another living being. <laughs> I'm not your abbot, Xuanzang. You don't have to put on airs for me. I know what it is like to lose someone close to you. More than anyone you've ever met, I know what that burning hole in your gut feels like. Does revenge help this feeling go away? I will never know. My father was taken by disease. If the illness that took him was a person, you cannot imagine the cruelty I would inflict upon it. But I cannot say for sure if it would have cured me. Exactly. Causing the suffering of others will not free you of your own. The only escape from samsara is to let go of the self. And yet, isn't it also true that the greatest figures in your religion do not fully lose themselves? They become Buddhas or Bodhisattvas, correct? Like Tathagata or Guanyin. <laughs> now that's a question that often keeps me up at night. Some say we all have an immortal self within us that persists past nirvana, our own Buddha nature, if you will. But other texts say this is a privilege for a few exceptional believers. Reconciling the two is very much a matter of debate. You'll make me dizzy with all these contradictions. I know exactly how you feel. Every novice monk feels that way when they start out. One lifetime is not enough to unpack it all. Then let's go back to my question. Do you think that you, Buddha nature and all, would be capable of killing this man? I think the universe moves toward balance, and at the end of this path, we'll find a way to see that justice is done. One thing I'll always admire about Buddhist monks, you're all masters at dodging questions. When they woke the next morning, the two men went down to the river, looking for any sign of the elusive boatman. Before too long, they found another crossing, but the ferryman there had not seen anyone matching Li Biao's description. One day passed, then another. With each passing hour, their pursuit seemed more and more fruitless, until finally they saw a faint orange glow from the very center of the river as if there was a fire floating amongst the dark waves. Of course, he wouldn't dare flee in case he was caught at a checkpoint. He's going to wait until our efforts have subsided on an island that no one visits. 
Xuanzang felt a shiver creep up his spine. He could not be sure, but it looked like the island where his father had been killed over 18 years ago. Not wasting any time, the two men hired a boat and set off toward the fire. Once they got close enough, they stopped, waiting in the dark until it had winked out. Then they set ashore as quietly as possible and slipped through the underbrush by moonlight. Go kept his sword sheathed so that the blade would not glint in the darkness and give their position away. Behind him, Xuan San held his staff with both hands. He would not fight, but it was a reflex that even the pacifist monk could not shake. They were feet from the smoky embers when Go drew his sword and leapt toward the makeshift camp. But no one was there. The smoldering embers were a single wooden log that could have easily washed ashore from a burning boat. Go lowered his sword and looked back toward the bush. It's a dead end, Song. You can come out. Um, Go, I don't think I can. The soldier turned and saw two figures stepping out of the undergrowth. There was a knife pressed to Xuanzang's throat, and behind him stood Li Biao, wild, filthy, and thin from malnutrition. He may have benefited from his partner's tenure as governor once, but it had been a long and hard fall back to poverty. He whispered into Xuanzang's ear. He wants you to drop the sword. What will he do once I've done that? Probably take your armor and use it to sneak past the checkpoints. He doesn't strike me as a particularly creative... Ow! Okay, relax. Go drop the sword. I got carried away. Chin, I can't let this man get away. He knows he can't beat me in a fight. Are you going to let him kill me? You're a Buddhist. You understand. I'm going to need you to let go of yourself. Suddenly, in a flash, Xuanzang knew what his traveling companion was going to do. Although they came from two different worlds, the world of violence and the world of nirvana, they both knew what was required for justice. Utter selflessness. After all, someone who has no sense of self is a horrible hostage. And so, Xuanzang took a breath and meditated. It was the hardest he ever had to concentrate, to escape the world with a knife to his throat, but he did it. Everything fell away and he relaxed, feeling utterly calm and at peace with the world. And then something hit him very hard in the head. His head snapped backwards and collided with his captors. Both went down, clutching their skulls. When Xuanzang looked up, he saw Go Yi wrestling on the ground with Li Biao, knife on one side and sword on the other. Chin, pick up my sword. Got the murderer. Xuanzang dove to the ground and seized the closer weapon, the dagger, and flung it into the river. The fewer weapons, the better. He turned back to see that Li Biao had gained the upper hand. He stood over Go Yi with the sword held high over his head. Xuanzang froze, knowing that in a moment the sword would descend. 
A glitter of gold caught his eye from the water. A fish circled in the water beside him, seemingly emanating its own light. It looked like the same fish Xuan San had spotted the night Liu Hong was executed. A strange shiver went up the monk's spine. Xuan San turned back to see Li Biao swinging the sword down. He threw himself in front of the blade, holding his staff up to block it. The wood splintered, breaking in two beneath the blow. The blade descended toward Xuan San's head and shattered in midair. Li Biao looked around himself, confused. Xuan San stood in front of him, unharmed. The scattered pieces of the sword glittered in the dirt, and then an overpowering golden glow came from the river beside them. The fish grew and changed, its body stretching and twisting, but never losing its golden glow. By the time it broke the surface, it was not a fish, but a dragon. The murderer screamed as it fixed him with a cold stare, then closed its jaws over his head. It shook Li Biao left, then right, then left again, before sliding back into the water. Less than 10 seconds later, the golden glow had vanished. The monk and the soldier stood on the island in amazement. What? What just happened? <laughs> Secret good works will always life prolong. Am I supposed to know what that means? There was a story my mother told me. It seemed so insignificant at the time. Over 18 years ago, my father saved a goldfish she found in the market, returning it to this very river the day before he died. I think we just saw the Dragon King of the River Hong, here to return the favor. So when you stood in front of the bandit's blade, you knew that would happen? No, it didn't occur to me until afterwards. <laughs> I owe you my life. And I owe you a new sword. The two men made their way back to the mainland. They did not speak much of their journey to the public officials, merely told them that the murderer had been brought to justice. Xuan San quietly returned to his life at the monastery, and Go Ziyi went back to his post in the emperor's guard. Neither believed their paths would cross again, and on that point, both proved to be mistaken. While they'd been searching for a murderer, the emperor had been hosting a very important guest, one whose appearance would change the course of Xuan San's life. Coming up, Xuan San is given the quest of a lifetime. Now back to the story. Emperor Taizong of the Tang Dynasty had not slept well in weeks. His days were troubled by stories of murder from Jianso, and his nights were haunted by spirits. For no empire, even one that is justly ruled, is free from danger and strife. 
So it was almost a relief when his first audience of the day was a pair of lowly monks, even if their reasons for visiting seemed baffling to him. One of them carried a large bundle under his arms, wrapped in fine fabric. What sort of monks are you? You seem to have impressed my ministers, but I see no reason for you to waste my precious time. Speak. We are humble travelers, my lord, here with gifts befitting your empire's glory. Go on. We carry with us a silk cassock and nine-ringed staff, gifts for the noblest and wisest Buddhist teacher in the empire. We thought it would be fitting if the emperor himself distributed them. I'm afraid I cannot help you. I do not know each and every monk in my domain. The most deserving may be a priest whose anonymity is one of his prime virtues. Naturally, but the man I seek is no ordinary monk. Who is he? Gold Cicada was his divine name. Heedless he was of the Buddha's lessons, and so made mortal as a sign of shame, where his new life might leave some impression. He met misfortune as he came to earth, and evildoers even before his birth. Do you know of a monk with such a backstory? While the emperor was at a loss to answer this question, Thousands of miles away, there lived a man who fit the mysterious monk's description to a T. But Qin Xuanzan knew nothing about his past lives. Such musings would be frivolous to the life of a Buddhist monk, especially one who had advanced to the role of teacher. Now, which one of you can tell me the difference between an Arhat, a Buddha, and a Bodhisattva? Xuanzang smiled as a dozen hands shot into the air. They were children, older than he was when he first began his lessons, but no less eager. He wondered how many of them would go on to become proper monks, and how many would go on to other careers. He smiled to himself when he remembered how as a child, he hoped he would meet the Bodhisattva Guanyin, the greatest of the Buddha's disciples, and she would teach him the Heart Sutra. A moment later, his lesson came to an abrupt end when his master appeared in the doorway. Xuanzang, could I borrow you for a moment? What is it, master? The emperor has sent out an edict. There is to be a grand mass at the capital. The wisest and noblest monks are to attend. It seems his goal is to spread our wisdom across the whole empire. Master, that is splendid news! I've often said it's a waste that your wisdom has been confined to this temple for so long. There is no teacher in China so wise as you. I can think of no one better to lead the mass. I can. Now's not the time for modesty. Let me help pack your things. I'm afraid these old bones aren't going to make it to the capital. I'll leave it in your capable hands, Xuanzang. I don't understand. I've put your name forth to lead the mass. Many agree with me, you'd be the best choice. Master, surely you jest. I'm no paragon of Buddhism. I've strayed, I've doubted. The tree that bends but does not break will weather more storms than its more brittle cousins. Please don't answer with a proverb. I need to know why you think I'm ready. Listen, when you set off on the road to vengeance, I was ready for you to leave and never come back. I thought that maybe you needed another lifetime to truly commit to enlightenment. 
but I was wrong. Not only did you bring the man to justice, but you did so without breaking your vows. I did not tell you everything that transpired on my journey. And you didn't have to. You turned a warrior into a man of faith that night. That's all I needed to hear to know you're ready. There is still so much I have to learn. As do I. Now off with you, River Float. For the final time, Xuan San set off toward the capital. Everything he had ever known had been in that temple, and though he'd ventured forth before, something told him that this time his journey would be different. As he walked down the road, he recalled something he once heard a fisherman say and smiled. We are lucky to have light songs to amuse us. We don't need castanets or flasks of gold. This comment, however simple, contained within it a great deal of wisdom. And so Xuan San sang to himself on the long and lonely road. The capital city of Chan'an was teeming with people. Xuan San had never seen such commotion before in his life. Monks from hundreds of cities and villages had come to attend the Grand Mass. The monks convened and discussed at length who would lead the Mass. And as Qin An had predicted, Xuan San was selected unanimously. He was the only man among them who had been raised from an infant with the scriptures, whose faith was so strong he had never once eaten meat. Something about the choice felt right to everyone, even those who had never known Xuanzan until now. And so, as the saying goes, Affinity will help old comrades meet, as perfection returns to this holy seat. Xuanzan began his lessons as his master had, and found himself returning to a familiar rhythm. It didn't matter that the crowd was over a thousand monks, many far older than he. The scriptures were the scriptures. He recited the Sutra of Life and Deliverance for the Dead, lectured on the scroll on merit and self-cultivation. But as he began speaking about the heavenly treasure chronicle for peace in the nation, he was interrupted. A scabby monk near the edge of the crowd was pounding his staff on the floor. Hey, monk! These are all lessons from the Hinayana, the little vehicle. Do you not know anything of the greater vehicle, the Mahayana? I'm sorry, my dear fellow, uh, but every monk before me has only known the teachings of the little vehicle. I have no idea what the great vehicle teaches. It is as I suspected. The doctrines of the Hinayana cannot break the cycle of life and death or save damned souls from eternal torment. Are you saying that this is useless? Not at all. I'm saying that in order to achieve true enlightenment, what you need are the Tripitaka. This distraction had not gone unnoticed. Guards burst into the chamber and seized the interrupting monk by both arms. And at the head of these guards was Go Yi, the man who had helped Xuan San avenge his mother's death. The Emperor orders that this man be detained for interrupting the Mass. But my friend, he speaks the truth. I am here to do my duty. I cannot disobey the Emperor. But perhaps you would know who it is you're arresting? 
With that, the mysterious monk let fall his disguise. A wave of light swept forth from the figure, not blinding, but illuminating. Where the monk had stood a moment ago, now stood a person unlike any the assembled masses had seen before. She was a woman, her dark hair pulled up in a coiled dragon bun, a fine blue silk robe about her form. Her eyes, like two bright stars, swept the room, causing all the men to throw themselves on the earth. This was Guan Yin herself, Bodhisattva of the South Sea, ruler of the Tai Mountain. She who saves and uplifts the voices of the poor, whose compassion is as legendary as her power is great. Even the emperor threw himself to the floor when he saw her magnificence. Rai Xuanzang, and everyone, I'm not here for you to gape at. I'm here to give you something. Me? Yes, you, monk who had a most strange childhood. I wish to give you these items. This cassock will protect its wearer against all violence and steer harm away. And this nine-ringed priestly staff will bring strength into flagging limbs and scorn the aches and pains of travel. I am honored beyond measure. What do you wish me to do with these? Far to the west, near India, there is a mountain known as Vulture Peak. There you will find the Buddha, who has with him the Tripitaka, three long-lost scrolls of ancient wisdom. The greater vehicle laws I spoke of are contained within these pages. You want me to fetch these? Without another word, the Bodhisattva vanished from the hall, bringing the golden light with her. None of the monks spoke a word. The emperor, on the other hand, marshaled his composure as best he could and made his way to Xuanzang. Young monk, I need you to travel to this vulture peak. If the Bodhisattva spoke truly, it is your destiny to bring these scrolls and their wisdom to China. I would be honored to accept such a charge, but I cannot go alone. Even with these gifts, it is a long and dangerous journey. At this moment, Go Ziyi spoke up. If you'll permit me, Emperor, I will accompany young Xuanzang on this mission. We have had fortune together, and I owe him a great debt. And perhaps on this journey to the West, this poor soldier will gain some of a monk's wisdom. The emperor nodded. This was a satisfactory arrangement. Before they left, he bestowed a title on Xin Xuanzang. Henceforth, he was to be known as Tripitaka, in honor of the scriptures he was tasked to seek. The humbled soldier and the monk made ready to embark on what would be the most difficult journey of their lives. But only one of them would live to tell the tale. It's no coincidence that Journey to the West is set in the Tang Dynasty, a very real period of Chinese history. Although it is a tale of spirits, dragons, and demons, it's based on a real pilgrimage undertaken by a real man named Xuanzang. 
Unlike his fictional counterpart, this historical Xuanzan was not the first individual to embark on a journey to India in search of Buddhist scriptures. He was preceded by at least 54 others, starting with Chu Shixing in 260 CE. What made Xuanzan special was the timing and purpose of his particular pilgrimage. See, Xuanzan became convinced that his school of Buddhism would not advance without foundational texts that had not yet been translated to Chinese. So he wrote an application to Emperor Taizong to be allowed to go to India for this purpose. However, the real Emperor Taizong was not the magnanimous beneficiary portrayed in Shioji. He was a young ruler who had killed two brothers in a bloody rise to power. He feared reprisal from their loyal troops stationed in the West, which made him institute a travel ban of sorts. This did not deter Xuanzang, who left on his journey around 627 CE and returned with the texts he sought about 18 years later. On his return, he was absolved by Taizong, who wisely did not want to anger the Buddhists who had been largely supportive of his rule. Around 50 monks would follow in Xuanzang's footsteps, the last being a monk in the late 8th century named Wu Kong a name that would be familiar to anyone who's read Journey to the West or listened to our episodes on the Monkey King. The exact origins of Journey to the West are still unclear, although most attribute it to Wu Chang'en. Even its authorship remains in contention. The creation of this story, after all, is not the result of one writer's mind. It's rather a confluence of history, religion, and storytelling that shows us how myths are born. First, there's five centuries of Buddhists making the same pilgrimage for knowledge. Then there's Xuanzang's account of his journey. Then, almost a millennium later in the Ming Dynasty, the story becomes Shi Ji, an epic retelling that continues to resonate to this day. And to hear the full story, have a listen to the tale of the Monkey King. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. See you next week for another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors include Tom Bauer, Drew Lawn, Kimlin Tran, and Brian Kim. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>